Hi, you're listening to Koldodi Messianic Congregation's weekly podcast. Join us in person for our weekly Shabbat services every Saturday at 11 a.m. We meet at 3534 West End Avenue in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website at koldodi.org or follow us on Facebook and watch us live at facebook.com forward slash Nashville. And now, here's Rabbi Ken's latest message. It's actually a little bit surreal for me right now, being up here. I haven't done a message from this stage in about two years. But I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. And uh, and, uh, I love you guys. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. As I was uh, trying to come up with the Josh for today, the Lord just was just saying, hey, just, just talk about what you've been reading. So I'm like, okay, let's do this. All right, so let's go to chapter 2, verse 12. Now Eli, in Hebrew is Eli, we can say Eli. Now Eli, Eli's sons were worthless men. First off, how would you like that to be your legacy, right? <laughs> Worthless men, forever known throughout thousands of years. Um, they did not acknowledge Adonai. This was the custom of the Kohanim with the people. Whenever any man offered a sacrifice, the Kohen servant would come along while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the Kohen would take for himself. This is how they dealt with all the Israelites who came there to Shiloh. Even before they burned the fat, the Kohen's servant would come and say to the one offering sacrifice, Give the Kohen meat for roasting, since he will not accept boiled meat from you, only raw. If the man said to them, Let them first burn up the fat as smoke and then take as much as you desire. He would reply, no, but you must give it now. Otherwise, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great before Adonai, for the men despised the offering of Adonai. So why why did I want to talk about that? I actually did not, like I said, I did not set out to find the worst kids in the Bible. But uh, it just kind of worked out that way. Um, so these verses not only cut us, but cut us to the core, especially as parents. These kids, these young men, are operating in the service of the Lord. So there's so many questions that could be raised about this situation. So many things in this passage. One thing, Ellie the Cohen, as their father, allowed it to get too far. And it seems like without attempts to curb their behavior, 
So if we think about the precepts of the Torah, if we think about the staples in Judaism, the passages in Torah we all know, the Ve'ahavta, you will teach them diligently to your children. Diligently, its root word is shanan. Let's all say shanan. To sharpen. So in the same way as iron sharpens iron, in the same way sharpen one another, you know, during fellowship. So how did it get to this point? So I noted a, a couple of key factors. So the scripture state, verse 12, they did not acknowledge Adonai. Other translations say they did not know him. So this goes deeper than like PK issues. Everybody knows what a PK is? Let's not talk about it. It's, it's a scary, scary thing. Um, so Ellie, uh, number two, Ellie and the Cohen did not rebuke until their fate was already determined by the Lord. Chapter three, verse 13. For I have told them that I am about to judge his house forever. The iniquity that he knew about because his sons brought a curse on themselves, yet he did not rebuke them. That's the Lord talking. So I just want to point out that in chapter 2, verse 22, um, it's, he did say something to them. And then it says, now Eli had grown very old. He heard all that his sons did to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear evil reports from all these people concerning you. No, my sons, for this is not a good report that I hear Adonai's people spreading around. If a man sins against another, God may pardon him. But if a man sins against Adonai, who will intercede for him? But they did not, they did not listen to the voice of their father because Adonai desired to put them to death. So the difference here is that Eli allowed them to continue in service when he had the power to stop them. Simply saying something was not enough, especially when they were not willing to hear it. Ultimately, they did not believe in Adonai. They did not know him. Eli did not stop them from continuing in service. This was a direct slap to the Lord. As the Lord had said in chapter 2, verse 29, this, this is what hurts a little. <laughs> Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me? Even the gifts of the Lord we can honor above him, right? All right, number three, point number three. Where is the mother in all this? So some of y'all are thinking, if the mother was present, she would have whooped the tail. And you're probably right. <laughs> also, we have to keep in mind that the priests were supposed to marry, and motherhood has benefits for child upbringing. We as a society have to stop acting like a child without a mother or a father has any importance. These roles do have importance. The Lord set it up that way. Anyway, the scriptures do not mention her. But as high priest on Yom Kippur, he should have had a wife unless he himself did not follow the Torah in this regard. 
So in Le Leviticus 16.11, uh, that's the proof text for this. Also Aaron is to present the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and so make atonement for himself and his house. The house, interesting enough, the sages teach is translated as wife. You know, it puts things into perspective, right? With Yeshua, gave himself as a ransom for us. Husbands, love your wives, just as Messiah also loved his community and gave himself up for her to make her holy, having cleansed her by immersion in the word. Yeshua was high priest atoning for his bride. What's my ultimate point in all this? Why am I saying what I'm saying? Which one of these factors led to this? Could it have been the upbringing? Could it have been the lack of rebuke? Possibly. But I think since it says his kids never knew the Lord, he must have never taught them diligently and sharpened them like the scriptures say to do. And Ellie allowed them to run the Lord's service with evil hearts, thus elevating them above the Lord. So does this not resonate with Yeshua's words also? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Does Yeshua desire us to hate our families? No, he's using a contrast here of where they should be placed. He desires our complete devotion. So what are you and, you and I elevating above the Lord? That's for all of us to think about. So going back to behavior and upbringing, it's very easy for us to sit back and to judge Ellie, isn't it? But notice that was the Lord's job. It wasn't the people. It was the Lord doing it. Could it be all of Ellie's fault? Possibly. But sometimes it's just sin and you love it, right? And people make choices that are beyond the parents' control. So James, Jacob, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. But each one is tempted when he's dragged away and enticed by his own desire. Then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. So parents, if you have poured into your children and you taught them all about the Lord to the best of your ability, stop blaming yourself. We all have blind spots and you did the best you could. In hindsight, it's always 2020. We've all could have done something different, something better, but we cannot dwell in that. We have to learn our lessons and move forward in prayer. I also want to point out in the same household, some kids turn out to be great servants of the Lord and some turn away from him. Look at Samuel. He also grew up in Ellie's household. The same household with the wicked sons. So Ellie's sons angered the Lord. As priests, they were the representation of the Lord. This goes beyond just messing up or not having faith in something along those lines. The Lord is rich in mercy and long-suffering with all of us. 
this, what they were doing, was a gross perversion of the Torah. When the Lord is misrepresented, he takes it very seriously. What about Moshe, Moses striking the rock? He didn't get to see the promised land when he was just supposed to speak to it. The Lord cares for his sheep. He cares for the innocent and simple. And these guys trounced on them. The Lord is the defender of the weak. So where am I going with this? Some of us who have had children who have wandered away, some that have even renounced the Lord, some who are walking in darkness, and some who are identifying as something else that was not their God-given identity. There are some of you that have been praying and praying and fasting for your children, no results. I want you to know the Lord hears your prayers, first and foremost. And if you began a work in them, he will carry it to completion. We need to stand in his promises. So lastly, living under the new covenant. Don't you just love living under the new covenant? So the sacrifice of Yeshua is greater than all sacrifices. Amen? This is the beauty of Yeshua's sacrifice. All sins and the sacrificial system in the Torah were for accidental sins. Like touch something unclean, something along those lines. You can, you can make restitution. It was a temporal covering, though. There was no sacrifice that would atone for the worst of them. And you guys know what is to be done when they've committed the worst of them. And Eli the Cohen knew this, not to be confused with Eli Cohen, the Israeli spy. <laughs> he said in verse 25, if a man sins against another, God may pardon him. But if a man sins against Adonai, who will intercede for him? No one could. But the sacrifice, Yeshua, covers the worst of them. I'll say it again. The sacrifice of Yeshua covers the worst of them. There is hope. There is redemption. The Lord desires your son. He desires your daughter even more than you do. His heart resonates with yours. The parable of the 99 sheep, the parable of the prodigal son, this is all about his desire for redeeming them. I'll leave you with this. Train up a child in the way he should go, for when he is old, he will not turn from it. Proverbs 20. Notice the guarantee is when he's old, we may not live to see the redemption in our children if, if they have wandered. And sometimes we as humans need to taste and see that the world is bad before we taste and see that the Lord is good. And I'll, my kids hate it when I, when I snipe them from the stage. But I'll, I'll just say, one of my kids said to me, we were talking about something, and I said, why didn't you listen to me on this? He said, well, I had to see for myself. And, you know, I have two boys, so you don't know which one that was. 
But let's stand in the promises. Like Rabbi said, let's meditate on them. Rabbi said that, I think, two weeks ago. Let's repeat them back to him. And do not lose hope for your children. For the Lord is good with his promises. Whether they are redeemed in this life or in the olam haba. Amen? If you have little ones in your house, continue to shanan, to sharpen them. Curb their natural sinful behavior and point them to the Redeemer. Let's learn like how Adonai wants us to learn from Eli the Kohen. Amen. Amen. Great stuff. Great stuff, Jason. So which child was it? That's Does God ever say no to our prayers? Does God ever tell us to stop praying? Does he ever say stop praying? Uh, in the parasha today, Deuteronomy 3, turn there, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 3, where Suzanne actually read earlier, uh, read these, the, the very verses I'd like to talk about, the etchanan, I pleaded. <clears throat> so perhaps you've heard that there are three ways. Let me, Father, just pray you open our eyes, continue to speak to us as you are already through your word, B'Shem Yeshua, Lord. Gal enai ba'avitani we pray in, in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen, Father. Breathe upon it. Perhaps you've heard that there are three ways which God responds to prayer requests. Maybe you've heard this. Uh, yes, no, <laughs> and you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> or, uh, I'm sorry, what was that again? Um, but maybe you've heard that. I don't know. There's a third one, and I, there's different variations on that. But this is a prayer request where God, Moses says to God, he pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, look at 323, I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, Lord Adonai, you have begun to show your servant your greatness, your strong hand for what God, and he t- says, please, Found in verse 25, let me cross over and see the good land across the Jordan, that good hill country and the Lebanon. He's pre- praying, pleading with God to allow him to go to the land of Canaan, Haaretz, the land of Israel, along with the people, request that was ultimately denied. Ba'et Hanan is translated, I pleaded here. The same root, the word Hanan, let's say Hanan, it's my Hebrew name, actually. Uh, Hanan. Yeah, and it means, it, it's the same root as free. God answers prayer, grants the request, our prayer request, based upon grace or freely, not because of our merit, not because we deserve it. When God answers prayer, it's not because of our merit, not because we of how good we are, but because of grace. Hanan, an undeserved gift. So I implore him to meet my need. Prayer. This says, at that time, he prayed. Well, it was after the victory over Sihon, Sihon and Og. And so maybe Moses is hoping, maybe God has changed his mind. Now, it's interesting. The Talmud says that he had made this request 515 times. I don't personally believe that's true, but, <laughs> but it's interesting. 515 times. Well, I don't know how many times he prayed it, but let's think about this. Unanswered prayer. When does God answer and when doesn't he? 
Um, when does God ignore my requests? When does he redirect me to focus on his plan rather than mine? Because really, if I title this little this short teaching this morning, I'd say, when does God tell me to stop praying? How does God direct me? When does he have to redirect me, uh, redirect my purpose and my priorities to his? In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, now this is the confidence we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked from him. But it's when it's according to his will. Jacob or James, Jacob, James, 4, 2 and 3, verses 2 and 3, you do not have because you do not ask. So you've got to ask. God wants us to ask. But then he says, you don't ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Sometimes our motives are wrong. Sometimes it's more than motives. Sometimes the timing is wrong. Sometimes we just don't have all the information. We want things to remain the same and to continue as they've been. And God says, no, they will change. You must loosen your hold. Uh, I love how Israeli music, I listen to Israeli music fairly often, and I love how they, it esteems the, the legacy of the older while making way for the newer. And both are greatly loved and cherished. And this is also true of delicious foods and recipes. Uh, and how about messianic music? Uh, the pioneers, like picked a couple songs from Joel Chernoff, or formerly in a land this morning. Pioneers like Joel Chernoff and Paul Wilbur, they are pioneers. And then some have forgotten people like David and Lisa Loden and Avner and Rachel Bosky. And yet, you can't stay in the old, you have the new as well. And I like hearing devotionals by young pastors and teachers, but I also treasure those older with experience who are battle-scarred and tested. We were talking on the men's Maccabee meeting, I think it was recently, on Jay, um, we brought up J. Vernon McGee. Anyone ever listen to J. Vernon McGee, right? And I, I have his devotionals someone gave me, his whole Bible commentaries, rather. And, uh, and, uh, and I saw the phrase that I remember used to hear him when I'd hear him on the radio times. That's where the rubber meets the road. I honestly, sometimes I have a hard time hearing advice from someone who's never faced a furnace, you know, and yet, we need the out-of-the-box innovation of younger thinking. And, but we also need the proven wisdom of veteran experience, right? We need absolutely both. Absolutely both. This is true, of course, in the business world. We know it as well. Yeshua said in Matthew 13, 52, uh, he said it this way. He said, therefore, every Torah scholar, disciple... For the wisdom, the kingdom rather, of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure both new things and old. We love the new covenant scriptures, right? But do we now, and this is a no-brainer for this crowd, for our crowd here, but do we now discard or diminish the old covenant scriptures because we love the new covenant scriptures? Of course not. God forbid. One stands on the shoulders of the other. Brit Hadashah stands on the shoulders of the Torah and Navim and Ketubim, the, the, the Law and the Prophets and the Writings, the Tanakh. 
And uh, so we don't throw out the old because we love the new, but we love the new. Sometimes our prayer is an extremely legitimate one. And the answer is not what I had hoped. And this is the case with Moses' prayer here. He wants to go into the promised land, understandably. He wants to get there. But it's not going to happen yet. Uh, King David fasted and wept for the healing of his son after his sin with Bathsheba, with Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel 12, verses 15 and 16, God disciplined him, took the child home. It says, the Lord struck the child, 2 Samuel chapter 12, 15, 16, and then 21, that Uriah's wife bore to David, and the child became very sick. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Then, it says, his servants said to him, what is this that you have done? Later on, it says, you fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. He says, why are you stopping? David says, God took the child. And remember, that's a beautiful verse we use for even the afterlife there. He says, I'll go to, he will not come back to me, but I will go to him. And we knew he believed he was so sad and people don't know, believe that they're going to see their loved ones again. Well, he knew he would see his child again. But, <clears throat> but he didn't have that prayer answered. God didn't, but he, tr he tried. Rabbi Saul, or Paul, uh, Apostle Paul, pleaded for release. And look at 2 Corinthians 12 from his thorn. Some say stake. Some scholars say it was a stake in his flesh. It was a, it was a thorn of some sort, a pointed object. Either way, whatever it was, thorn, stake, it was a pointed object that God allowed the enemy to use, the adversary to, to buffet him, to constantly give him pain, and humiliated him. It said it kept him from being puffed up, from being proud. It kept him humble. And it was satanic, and it was very painful. And whether it was physical, or emotional, or spiritual, or all the above, either way, it was the cause of constant suffering and repeated attack for Paul. And let me re let's read it. He says, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, even in the, in the extraordinary quality of the revelations that God had given him, third heaven, we were mentioning this morning before, uh, you know, the, the, the word for heaven is, what's the word for heaven in Hebrew? Shemayim, right? Shemayim, Hashemayim, the heavens. It's a plural word. There's no, you can't say heaven. You can only say heavens. And Paul talks about going here in this chapter to the third heaven, right? There, there's rabbinic commentaries, you know, talk about the seven heavens, you know, being seven heavens. We don't know, but there, there's there's a, you know, it's, it's going to be amazing. It is amazing. And he says, so that you, I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So I would not exalt myself. I pleaded with the Lord. I pleaded with the Lord three times, so not 515 times, but three times about this, that it might leave me. Lord! It's got to go. Lord, get, free me from this suffering, this pain, this awful pain. What was he going to? You know, my wife and I were getting older, and every night we wake up, owie, oi, owie. I don't know if you My bed's hard. We have two different mattresses on our beds when we got them, you know, and we're still making payments on them, I think. So, like, from five years, ten, seven years ago, I don't know. But anyway, but mine is really firm, so I'm stuck with it, you know. It's, I got a really firm one, and hers is softer. But, anyway, but uh, you know, they're next 
to each other. I mean, but we're not like, uh, what is it? The, the Lucy show where they have separate that. No, they're next. <laughs> but, we, but anyway, but you know, but it's, it's, but as you get older, you know, you got all sorts of pains. It's like, oh, yeah, every time you move. Anyway, but Paul says, but pain can be emotional, as we know. Pain can be heartaches and memories that you have and things that you wake up and, oh my gosh. And, and yet God allowed the enemy here. You know, he says, the me messenger of Satan, that's the adversary, to torment me so I would not exalt myself. I pleaded with the Lord three times. And it seems like it wasn't until after the third time that he heard the Lord, that the voice of the Lord got through to him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect. And that's the right translation. It's, it's literally not my power, but power. Of course, it is God's power, but its power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul has an attitude shift here. He says, okay, I'm not going to keep pleading. I'm not going to keep praying about this. No more prayer about this. I will boast. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Messiah may dwell in me. And so I'm going to have a, I'm going to delight, I'm going to thank God, I'm going to delight in weaknesses, in insults, in distresses. Doesn't mean it's still, the pain's not there, but I'm going to be, be thank, thank you, Lord, in distresses, in persecutions, in calamities, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. Listen, the Lord says to Moses, if you read, we read through in Deut back to Deuteronomy 3, 26 through 28 here, uh, he says, says, but the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he would not listen to me. And the Lord says, Rav, he says, um, actually in the Hebrew, he says, Rav, Rach, enough, so much, so too much for you, much, too much for you. Here it translates it, enough. The Lord said to me, do not speak to me anymore about this matter. Go up to the top of the mountain of Pisgah, three mountains in Moses' life, uh, Horeb, Sinai, and Nebo. But look, where God visited him, maybe God, you need to go up to, sometimes you need to go to a mountain for a visitation from the Lord. Go up to a high place, and, and maybe God will speak to you there. Go up to the top of Pisgah. Look around the west, north, and the south, the east, and see where you're with your eyes, for you will not cross over the Jordan. You're not going to cross over this, this Jordan, but commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will cross over before this people, and he will enable them to inherit the land that you, that you will see. So we stayed in the valley. So, so this is what the Lord's saying. Stop crying over spilled milk. Uh, there comes a time when God says, enough, too much, time to accept my plan and adjust yourself to it. Get up off your butt, excuse me, and climb up to the, up to the mountain, uh, to the top of the mountain where you can have a different vantage point, a different viewpoint. See the whole picture and accept it and embrace it and get busy doing your job to prepare everyone for the future. Uh, there are times when literally God has to say and tell me, stop praying about this because he's trying to direct my purpose and my priorities to something different. He's saying, and Moses could say, but it's not like I anticipated it to be. I had something completely different in mind. I was sure that God was going to have things pan out that way, not this way. 
You're making a big mistake here, Lord. Can't we go back and reverse things? Start over again? Well, sometimes God does say that we go back and start over again, but not this case. Not always. In this case, no. In this case, no. No. You have to adjust, Moses. You have to adjust. You start preparing Joshua. You're not going to be going into the land with the people, Moses. You're not going to. You've got to accept this. God says, I've heard enough. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Get out of your funk and off your bunk and stop complaining and start climbing up the mountain. Start getting Joshua ready and be grateful rather than griping. Deuteronomy 3.28, he says, command Joshua, encourage him, strengthen him. And the, the, the three words in Hebrew, commission is savah, to, to command, to delegate authority while retaining still control. And then encourage chazak, to hold strongly, to strengthen, make him firm. And then strengthen, amatz, these are the roots of the words, strengthen, to secure. In other words, it's like Moses saying, here's what to do, I trust you. And then you can do it, you can do it. And then I'm for you, and I'll help you. God is with you. Moses is preparing Joshua. Moses, God says, Moses, get your, get, start getting Joshua ready. He's going to do, lead them. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Verse 20, back to verse 26. Too much for you, Rav Lach. Let's say Rav Lach. Rav Lach. Rav Lach. Rav Lach. Too much for you. But it also can be translated, interestingly enough, so much for you. So much for you. I have so much more for you than you realize here. I have so much more for you, Moses, than you realize here. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has, have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Right? 1 Corinthians 2.9. Much greater award than you're getting, you're, you getting into the land will be the messianic kingdom which awaits you. And sometimes our prayers are answered. Sometimes our prayers are answered, but much, much later. As Jason just said, beautiful, about, about your children later on. Mo Moses would actually set his feet in the land of Israel some 13 centuries later and with Yeshua himself. We know that because of where? Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration, right? With Yeshua, he's there. He made it. He did get there. But not in his time, God's time. Not in his way, God's way. So be of good cheer. The time of the answer of your prayer will come, just maybe not your way or my way, right? Father, we just thank you for your wisdom. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, Lord. Higher, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, we thank you, Lord. We trust you. We praise you. You have so much for you. So much for you, Moses. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your wisdom. And if you've never trusted Yeshua, you've never put your faith in him to receive Yeshua and as your Messiah, this is the best time for you to do it. This may be the only time you can do it to receive him. 
All it is a matter of humbling yourself. Humbling yourself. Listen, if you've had pain in your life, you've had something go wrong, that's so that you can have something go right, which is for you to accept Yeshua and come to know God personally. Say, Lord, save me. Lord, rescue me. I'm humbling myself. I want to know you, God. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Make me new. I want a new start right today to know you. And if you're praying that prayer, write us. If you're watching online, please connect with us so we can connect back with you and help you in any way we can from a distance or if you're close, if you're here right here this morning and in-house, please come and pray with some amazing people. There'll be their prayer warriors that hear people that are men and women of prayer that'll be up front here and join them. Come up and let them know you made that decision. They'll pray with you after the service. <laughs> Ah. Uh-huh.